0: Hello everybody, and welcome to the Audio Guide to the Galaxy, Episode 8, and the very last episode of Season 2. My name is Leon, and I'm a presenter here at the SciTech Planetarium, and I'll be your guide for tonight's stargazing session. This recording is time to be listened to at 7.30pm any day throughout all of July and August. Tonight, we're going big. Really big. We're going to be exploring the two largest planets in our solar system, Jupiter and Saturn. Jupiter and Saturn tell an amazing story about the history of our solar system, and by extension, ourselves. Before we go any further, make sure you're ready for stargazing. Long pants, shoes, and a warm jacket are compulsory. All ready? Excellent. Let's go stargazing! Finding Jupiter and Saturn in the sky is surprisingly easy at the moment, and I've been looking forward to it for weeks. Because of the orbits of the Earth, Jupiter and Saturn around the Sun, we haven't been able to get a good view of them for the past few months, because they've been on the other side of the Sun from the Earth, and have only been visible really late at night. But the Earth has now moved far enough around on its orbit that it's caught up to them, and we can now see them in the early evening. And to find them, all we have to do is face to the east. Remember, the Sun sets in the west, so all you need to do is think about where that direction is relative to your house, and face the other way. You're now facing east. And there, about a handspan above the eastern horizon, at 7.30pm in the evening, you'll see them. They are really hard to miss. Jupiter is big and bright and brilliant, and it looks somewhat whitish. And just below it, slightly to the right, is Saturn. Saturn is not quite as bright as Jupiter, and has a distinctively more yellowish colour to it, The reason Saturn isn't as bright is twofold. Firstly, Saturn is a little bit smaller than Jupiter, but more importantly, it's a lot further away. Even though they look close together in the sky right now, that's just because of the angle that we're viewing them from. Realistically, Saturn is about twice as far away from us than Jupiter is from us right now. And so we receive less light from it, making it appear smaller and fainter in our sky compared to Jupiter. There's nothing about these two planets that isn't magnificent in size and in scope. We heard a little bit about them in our walking guide to the solar system last week with Leah. Jupiter is by far the largest planet in the solar system. It's more than twice as heavy as all the other planets put together. Compared to Earth, Jupiter is 313 times heavier and 1300 times larger. Saturn while being smaller and less massive, is really the crown jewel of the solar system, in most people's opinions. Its magnificent rings are captivating. I strongly recommend adding look at Saturn through a telescope to your life's to-do list. Jupiter and Saturn are both gas giants. This means that they're pretty much just hydrogen all the way down. Here on Earth, we have a thin atmosphere, and then we have the ground that we're standing on, and Earth itself is made of rock. On Jupiter and Saturn, there is no ground, literally. You just go deeper and deeper, never reaching a solid surface. Unlike on Earth, where we have a pretty obvious distinction between the air and the ocean, on Jupiter and Saturn, the atmosphere of mostly hydrogen gradually just gets thicker and denser as you go deeper, and smoothly turns from gas to a liquid without a sharp boundary an ocean of hydrogen. If you could somehow survive the crushing pressures and temperatures deep down in these planets, then without even noticing it, your spaceship becomes a submarine. Minor storms on Jupiter and Saturn are easily the size of continents on Earth. And of course, there is the Great Red Spot on Jupiter. A gigantic storm, the size of the Earth, that has been raging on Jupiter for at least 300 years. Interestingly, Saturn has a magnificent storm on it as well, and, quite unfairly in my opinion, this storm is nowhere near as well known as the Great Red Spot on Jupiter. Where Jupiter has the Great Red Spot, Saturn has the hexagon. And the name is pretty descriptive. On the North Pole of Saturn, there is a hexagonal shape. And stop and think about that for a second. How many six-sided storm clouds have you seen here on Earth? I haven't seen any either. Yet it turns out, when you have rapidly rotating fluids moving at just the right speed, you can get clouds that have corners. So Google Saturn's hexagon someday. It's something you just have to see to believe. And the hexagon on Saturn is even bigger than the Great Red Spot, by about 50% there are some truly monstrous storms in our solar system. Being so bright and easy to spot in the sky at the moment makes these planets great targets for a telescope. Through a telescope, you can see that Jupiter and Saturn are noticeably bulging around their middle. They aren't perfectly round. And this is because they rotate very quickly, each planet rotating once every 10 hours or so. And this is so fast that the mass of the planet at the equator gets flung out a bit giving them both a bulging appearance at their equator. The fancy word for this shape is an oblate spheroid. Both planets have had dedicated spacecraft sent to study them. Most of our knowledge about Saturn comes from the Cassini spacecraft, which orbited Saturn for 13 years up until 2017. Jupiter was orbited by the Galileo spacecraft from 1995 to 2003, and is currently being orbited by the spacecraft Juno, which is moving around it literally right now as we speak. Juno has lots of equipment on board to study Jupiter's atmosphere, auroras, magnetic field, gravitational field, and electric discharges. It's a truly remarkable piece of machinery. Bit by bit, every piece of data we get from Juno and other studies allows us to put together the puzzle of our solar system. It also has a camera on board called JunoCam, If you search that up, you'll be able to find pictures hot off the press from JunoCam. To say they are breathtaking is an understatement. In Roman and Greek mythology, Juno and Jupiter were married, and the Juno spacecraft actually carries on board three Lego figurines, 3D printed out of aluminium. One of Jupiter, one of Juno, and another of Galileo, the Italian astronomer who discovered Jupiter's four largest moons in 1609. Speaking of moons, between them, Jupiter and Saturn have 161 moons that we know about – 79 around Jupiter, 82 around Saturn. We might find more as time goes on, but we should give a special mention to the largest moon of Jupiter, Ganymede. It's not just the largest moon of Jupiter, it's the largest moon in the entire solar system. It's bigger than Earth's moon. It's bigger than the forgettable Pluto. It's bigger than the planet Mercury. It's almost as big as Mars. But it's not a planet 9, because it doesn't orbit the sun. If Ganymede did orbit the sun instead of Jupiter, then we would almost certainly call it a planet. For as interesting as all these facts are, this is bread and butter for us here in the SciTech Planetarium. What are the things about Jupiter and Saturn that make scientists excited? At first glance, the questions that scientists are trying to answer about the outer solar system may seem pretty odd. Does Jupiter have a core? And if so, how big is it? Have Jupiter and Saturn always orbited the Sun at the distances they currently do? Why is Neptune heavier than Uranus? When we look at exoplanets orbiting around other stars, why is it that we see Jupiter-sized planets that are orbiting their stars way, way, way closer than expected? even closer than Mercury orbits the Sun in our solar system. Why is Jupiter so far from the Sun in our solar system? Now here's an interesting thought. One of the greatest questions humans have posed, and partially answered, is how did we get here? Where did we come from? To know how humans got here, we have to understand the history of Earth, all four and a half billion years of it. But the Earth has changed a lot in that time. It's not the only thing around here. Earth interacts with all the other things in the solar system. So to understand the history of Earth, we have to understand the history of our solar system. But remember that part where I said Jupiter is 313 times heavier than the Earth? This means that Jupiter has 313 times as much gravity as the Earth, and therefore 313 times as much influence. So, second to the Sun. Jupiter is the next most dominant object in the solar system. And there's a saying I quite like, that the solar system consists of the sun and Jupiter. Everything else is an afterthought. And Jupiter's gravity has allowed it to pretty much bully everything else in the solar system around. And this has had an enormous influence on the entire history of our solar system. So really, what we need to understand is Jupiter and how it has interacted with everything else in the solar system. By studying Jupiter and its structure today, we can tease out clues about its history, how it formed, and how it influenced the development of the rest of the solar system. To know Jupiter is to know ourselves. We actually have a pretty good idea of how our solar system started out. In principle, making solar systems is easy. Start with a cloud of gas and dust, press the gravity button, and let time move forward for a few million years to let gravity do its work. We know that this is how the stars and planets are formed, because we can see it happening. All across the Milky Way, we can see examples of stars and planets in various stages of formation. We see clouds of gas and dust dotted across the galaxy, collapsing under their own weight to form new stars. We see young stars shrouded in disks of dust. We see planets carving out pathways through the dust as they're slowly formed. And we see fully formed solar systems around many stars, stars that contain a family of planets. So we know the solar system formed, four and a half billion years ago, from a cloud of dust and gas that collapsed under its own weight. Fascinatingly, we have found meteorites with a special type of iron in them that is only produced by exploding stars. So the presence of this iron tells us that long ago, a distant star exploded and sent a shockwave into the cloud of dust and gas that would eventually become our solar system, triggering it to collapse and form the sun and planets. From within the disk of dust that surrounds the newly formed sun, the planets were made from the bottom up. A couple of bits of dust stick together. These two bits of dust stick to a few more bits of dust. These several pieces stick to several more and bit by bit by bit, they grow in size from dust, to grains of sand, to pebbles, to rocks, to hundreds of metres across, and so on. But we can tease out an interesting detail based on the simple fact. The sun, and stop me if I'm going too fast here, the sun is hot. This means that any volatile substances like water, hydrogen or helium would have boiled away and been pushed far out away from the Sun, leaving only dust and metals that could survive close to the Sun. Further out, where things are cooler, water could form ice and hydrogen and helium could exist in stable states. And this tells us something important. Jupiter, which we know is mostly made of hydrogen and helium, must have formed far away from the Sun. Mercury, Venus, Earth and Mars, which are made of rock and metal, would have formed closer to the Sun, pretty much where they are today. So, just like that, you have a solar system, right? Not so simple. We still have a major problem. To get so big, Jupiter had to have consumed the most material, obviously. So it must have formed very quickly, a lot faster than the other planets, and that way it had more time to hoover up lots of material and become so big. How did Jupiter form so quickly? One idea is that, rather than forming from the bottom up by slowly accreting mass, Jupiter just formed all at once. As the Sun was forming, a big cloud of gas and dust broke off from the Sun and just collapsed and all at once, boom, we had the beginnings of Jupiter. And this is great because we now have testable predictions. If Jupiter formed from the bottom up, then it should have a small, dense core maybe ten times the size of the Earth. But if Jupiter formed all at once from the collapsing cloud of dust and gas, then it should have no core at all. Measurements taken by the Juno spacecraft orbiting Jupiter right now have intriguingly revealed that Jupiter does have a core, but it's all spread out and mixed up. Kind of mushy is the best term I've heard used to describe it. So scientists had to go back to the drawing board the latest idea is that Jupiter probably did form from the bottom up, but collided with another huge planet, maybe a few times the size of the Earth, and this collision was enough to stir up the core of Jupiter and make it all spread out like we see today. This is a great idea, but we still haven't answered our original question. What gave Jupiter the head start to get so large? And the answer might be water. Remember we said that in the disk of debris around the newly formed sun, water would have boiled away and been pushed far from the sun where it was colder. At a certain distance, it was far enough from the sun to cool down again and form ice. And at this particular distance, all the water from the inner solar system would have eventually ended up. And that is a lot of water. There are lots of estimates of how far from the sun this ice would have ended up, but long story short, they're all about where Jupiter is. This huge amount of extra material in the form of ice may have given the young Jupiter the kickstart to formation that it needed to set it on the path to become the biggest planet. So that explains everything, right? Nope, again. You see, when we look at planets around other stars, we run into a serious problem. We find planets the size of Jupiter quite often. They're big, they're heavy, they're easy to spot. But the surprising part is where these planets are. Many of them are really close to their parent star. And, say it with me now, stars are hot. There is no way that a gas planet can form close to a star. It would boil away before it even started. The implications from this are both shocking and inescapable. These planets must have formed far away from their star, and later moved inwards. Planets must migrate. And suddenly we have not one, but two headaches. Firstly, how do planets migrate? What physical mechanism causes them to move closer to their star? And second, and more confoundingly, why didn't Jupiter migrate inwards in our solar system? If Jupiter had migrated inwards it would almost certainly have consumed or disrupted the earth in the process or at the very least flung it out of the solar system it's not an understatement to say that the earth is the way it is today because of the fact that Jupiter did not migrate inwards like we see in the other solar systems how planets migrate is understood by the simple fact that the closer something is to the Sun the faster it moves Jupiter being the closest heavy thing to the Sun at the time of its formation, moved the fastest. But the gravitational attraction of all the gas and dust that was further away from the Sun, and thus moving more slowly, acted like a drag, breaking Jupiter's speed and slowing it down. As Jupiter slowed in its movement, it began to fall inwards towards the Sun. The inevitable imperial march of the solar system had begun. But as Jupiter moved inwards, Its huge gravitational influence left behind a gap. With Jupiter no longer around to hog all the material, this allowed another planet to rapidly consume all the remaining hydrogen and helium in the outer solar system. That planet was Saturn. Eventually, Saturn got heavy. Not as heavy as Jupiter, but still 95 times heavier than the Earth. And this was enough. Slowly, Saturn pulled Jupiter back out again. Saturn saved the inner solar system, including Earth, from Jupiter's migration. But moving a planet as big as Jupiter in and out again still caused havoc. Scientists think that as Jupiter moved back out again, its huge gravity destabilised the orbits of Uranus and Neptune, and these planets were flung outwards, away from the Sun. In fact, simulations show that it's even possible Neptune might originally have formed closer to the Sun than Uranus, but was flung outwards by Jupiter's rebound, so far that it is now the most distant planet from the Sun. And this actually makes a lot of sense. If Uranus formed furthest from the Sun, where there was less ice, less gas, and less of everything, then we would expect it to be the least heavy of all the big, giant planets. And that is exactly what we see today. Neptune is heavier than Uranus, so it makes a lot of sense that it might originally have formed closer to the Sun, where there was more stuff. As Uranus and Neptune were scattered outwards, they actually flung a lot of material inwards. Distant, frozen, icy objects. For millions of years, hundreds of distant icy worlds from the outer solar system were tossed inwards by Uranus and Neptune. Many of these icy worlds were consumed by the sun, but lots of them impacted the rocky planets, including Earth. And this period of collisions is called the Late Heavy Bombardment we see evidence of the late heavy bombardment written on the surface of the Moon. The size and frequency of the craters on the lunar surface shows a noticeable spike at three and a half to four billion years ago. About three and a half to four billion years ago, SOMETHING caused a huge number of icy objects to crash into the inner solar system, including the Moon. And that SOMETHING is Uranus and Neptune moving outwards. But remember, what caused Uranus and Neptune to move outwards in the first place? Jupiter and Saturn. And the late heavy bombardment brought with it the greatest treasure in the entire universe. Water. Think about it. We've learnt that the Earth formed close to the Sun where it was originally too hot for water to exist. There's no second way about it. The water that we so enjoy on Earth must have come later. Earth began its existence dry as a bone, and water arrived afterwards. The late heavy bombardment brought that water to us. The Moon and Mercury don't have enough gravity to hold on to water. Venus and Mars have lost theirs because they don't have strong magnetic fields, and eventually the Sun broke it all apart and boiled it away again. But Earth, Earth has literally bucket loads of the stuff. Water that is essential for life to exist. Consider this. Water makes up 60% of your body. If you could sort all the molecules of your body into ten buckets, and don't try this at home, then six of them would be just regular old water. The water you are made of is older than the sun. It was part of the disk of material that formed our solar system. Some of the water from that debris disk helped kick start the formation of Jupiter. That water is still in Jupiter, not in you. Jupiter's rapid growth and huge size has since dominated the solar system, tossing objects into the sun, scattering others away from the sun, and generally bullying everything around. But Jupiter eventually succumbs to the gravity of the rest of the solar system and began migrating inwards only with Saturn's help did it move back out, and in doing so, disrupted the orbits of Uranus and Neptune, that then dragged lots of icy comets inwards to impact the Earth and the other terrestrial planets in the late heavy bombardment, which brought with it the very water that you are made of. To know ourselves is to know Jupiter. And this brings us to the end of this episode of the Audio Guide to the Galaxy. Tonight we went big. Big planets and big science. I hope you're feeling pretty big as well. You're made of the same stuff that kick-started the formation of Jupiter, ultimately leading to life on Earth. This is the last episode of the Audio Guide to the Galaxy for now. We've covered a lot of topics over these recordings. How to find constellations, how to navigate your way across the sky, the formation of stars and the different types of stars. Our wonderful cosmic neighbour, the moon. Planets, stars, dust, gas, galaxies, life. And throughout it all, something shines clear. We are part of this universe. The law of gravity that holds you on the ground is the same law of gravity that makes galaxies collide. The water in our bodies was part of the formation of the solar system. The stars in our sky are suns, most of them orbited by worlds of their own. The chemistry of different atmospheres is the same chemistry we can do in a laboratory here on Earth. The universe is like a big puzzle to be put together that we don't know what the final picture is going to look like. But most importantly, it can be understood. As Einstein said, the most incomprehensible thing about the universe is that it is comprehensible. Never forget that knowing stuff makes you cool. And remember, you can find the universe just outside. Good night, Good night everybody. everybody.